0: This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live.
1: This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening to the Sunday afternoon show with Maud. It is 3 p.m. on Sunday the 10th of April, and you can join me using the chat function. We can discuss today's topic, which is about Denmark, the Scandi lifestyle, and its educational system. Welcome! Welcome! Good afternoon fellow educators and dear listeners this is my fourth radio show as a hostess and I'm delighted to share this new exciting experience in your company but first I have to introduce myself for any new listeners I am a French citizen of French and West African ancestry and I've lived in the UK since 2008 I'm a professional educator working in a secondary state school in North London where I teach languages as well as humanities. I have also experience as a teacher in the charity sector. You can follow me on Twitter at profprofmfl, and all views are my own. But first, let's focus on our topic of the day. This topic is quite relevant to me as an educator and personally in my daily working life. Um, the podcast and discussion following will both be on the topic of Denmark and its educational system. We will have one guest speaker today who is not a professional educator, but he's got a lot of hands-on experience since he's a Danish teenager who lives and studies in Denmark near the capital, Copenhagen. So first, a little bit about Denmark. What is Denmark? Well, it's a small European country in Northern Europe. Denmark um, is um, comprising Jutland Peninsula and lots and lots of little islands. It's linked to uh, nearby Sweden. There's a bridge, a quite famous after uh, series that was uh, on um, all the social media. Uh, its capital is Copenhagen, Copenhagen, and it is home to the royal palaces. There's a very famous harbor a famous Tivoli amusement park and the symbol of Denmark is the Little Mermaid after Hans Christian Andersen's stories or fairy tales, The Little Mermaid. So Copenhagen is quite a beautiful capital with only a million inhabitants. The whole of Denmark comprises more than 5 million people, but it's a relatively small country in Europe. It's quite a wealthy country. Um, So the gross domestic product is over 355 billion US dollars for the 2020 data. So it is usually famous for being a very welcoming country, a touristic destination, uh, a place where people have lovely lifestyle and uh, a very welcoming country. So Denmark is also um, including Greenland and the Faroe Islands. So it has two former colonies. Denmark is part of Scandinavia. So what is Scandinavia? Scandinavia is a cluster of countries, including Norway, Sweden, Denmark, and Iceland, and all these countries share a common history. So the most famous part of their history is the Vikings. We've all heard tales of the Vikings with their heaven called Valhalla and their gods such as Thor, the god with the hammer. Now they have a common language, an old language called Old Norse, and they are all now Christian countries. And um, their most uh, popular religion is uh, the Evangelical Lutheran Church. So it's a form of Protestantism. Now in Denmark, 75% of the 5.8 million people are registered as members of the Evangelical Lutheran Church. Now it's not like Roman Catholicism because priests in Denmark, Sweden and Norway can be married, unlike Roman priests. Now the Danish um, economy is um, booming. There's a lot of companies that are exporting Danish products some might not be that famous. Uh, you might not have heard of Novo Nordisk, but it's a pharmaceutical company, one of the largest in Denmark, and, uh, it supplies half of the world's insulin for diabetics. So quite an important, um, drug company, pharmaceutical company, Scandinavia and Denmark in particular are famous for their design. And I'll stop you right there. Ikea is not a Danish brand, it's a Swedish brand. So, uh, yet uh, architecture and design from Denmark are are very famous. There's a lot of tourists coming from Japan who come to Copenhagen to buy ceramics. We have beautiful ceramics in in Denmark in particular. And you might be familiar with windmills that were designed in um, Denmark and a lot of companies such as Vesta. danish companies you have danish design in um, interior design but you have also a big export is fur products we discovered that uh, during the pandemic i don't know if you've heard but they had a lot of mink farms that had to be uh, all the mink had to be culled because of the the virus so we discovered that it is actually a big export of denmark now culturally we have nordic noir which is a type of thriller or crime series. It's all in books, novels, and also films, very famous literature, film series. I mentioned The Bridge, which was a very, very popular um, uh, Danish and Swedish series. And we also had uh, um, the, The Killing which was already, it's already 10 years old, or, or even more. We have a lot of famous actors coming from Denmark. We have Maas Mikkelsen, who's been in some James Bonds. He was Hannibal in the series. We, has, we have Viggo Mortensen um, in uh, The Lord of the Rings. And we have many, many other uh, Danish actors who are supposedly very successful in England and in America. Now a little bit more about Denmark. So Denmark is a parliamentary monarchy, a little bit like the UK. So they have a, a monarch who has no political power but represents Denmark symbolically. So it's a queen as well, uh, like in England. We have Queen Margrethe II. So Queen Margrethe was um, so she she was born in 1940, and she became the monarch when her father died in 1972. Now she has a big family. She has her son, Prince Frederick, born in 1968, and he will take the throne when she passes. And then Frederick was married to Mary, who is Australian, and they have a lot of children already. And the eldest is Christian, who was born in 2005, and he will be um, Prince when his father is the king. So it's a very long established monarchy, Um, Margrethe has uh, ancestors all the way up to the ninth century. You might not have heard of Gorm the Old, but you've definitely heard of Harold Bluetooth. Yes, he was a king around 1940, born in 1940. And uh, he inspired the Danish um, person who designed the Bluetooth. So quite famous all around. Now, Queen Margrethe is the first female monarch of Denmark since another Queen Margrethe, Queen Margrethe I, but she was a queen in the 15th century. So between Queen Margrethe I in the 15th century, all the way to Queen Margrethe II in the 1970s, we had no queens, only kings. So Queen Margrethe is the second but the first in our modern times. Um, It's a good thing that queens can also become uh, rulers. And um, it was through a referendum in 2009 that the Danes decided that any girls born as the first child would be considered on an equal footing and could come to the line of succession. So whether it's a girl or a boy in Denmark's monarchy, the oldest child can become the monarch. Denmark is a very equal society and very friendly society. It's LGBTQ friendly as well. Same sex marriages have been allowed in Danish churches since 2012. And the Danish constitution guarantees freedom of religion and non-Christian religions are respected and they receive the same tax advantages as the Danish Lutheran evangelical church. Now it's almost an equal society in Denmark, which is something to be proud of with um, a 15% gap between women and men's wages. We're not a hundred percent equal, but they're working on it. And you can see it throughout their history. In 1840, we had a law on universal primary education, and this is a teacher's talk radio. So we really care about education. So from 1814, In Denmark, boys and girls had to be equally educated. It was set in the law. It was a very early uh, right to vote for women in Denmark. It was in 1915, so before the UK and way before France. The first female prime minister was Helle Thorning-Schmidt in 2011. And you might know her if you're from the UK because she's married to a British man, Steve Kinnock, who is a Welsh MP, son of the famous Labour, Neil Kinnock. So there's a lot of links between Denmark and England, Um, a lot of parallel. So you have two queens who are monarchs, you have a monarchy, a parliamentary monarchy, and you have a lot of links in politics as well. Now, I mentioned the gender gap, and if you want to, you can check the Global Gender Gap Report. It's available online. The most recent data is from 2021. And um, it says that Denmark used to be 14th in 2019, and then it slowly lost its uh, place at the top. It's now only um, 24th in the Global Gender Gap Report list the COVID, COVID might have impacted, but it's also the problem that for gender parity, we notice that women are still struggling to get equal pay, even in a very advanced and modern country as Denmark. Iceland is the most gender equal country in the world. And um, this is something to celebrate. Iceland is also a Scandinavian country, as I said earlier. Now, when the World Economic Forum published this report I mentioned, Denmark took 29th place. So it's dropped a bit. Um, This index shows that um, there's still an issue with gender equality in in Denmark, and it's progressing slower than um, other Nordic countries such as Iceland, as I mentioned. So now the percentage of women working outside the home in Denmark is one of the world's highest. 72% of Danish women are working outside the home when they have children. On average, men in Denmark still earn 12% more than women, even though they're all mostly working. There is also what we call an invisible pay gap. So it's 15% difference in men and women's wages for the same job. The Danish government is trying to find out the roots of the problem but we, we think it's um, is still really ingrained in Danish society. So this was a little description of Denmark, beautiful country, surrounded by water, the North Sea and the Bering Sea, lots of islands. It's a nation that favors um, sailing. It's a nation that's really um, all about the sea and, and uh, life by the sea. It's a, it's a beautiful place where you can enjoy um, design, you can enjoy good food. Their f- most famous restaurant was the Noma restaurant in Copenhagen, uh, specializing in foraging. Denmark is famous for its literature, its movies, its architecture, and its design, as well as its fashion. Now we're going to play the news, so I'm leaving you in good hands with Gail. Thank you.
0: aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.wetheslacgroup.co.uk to find out more.
2: Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? Then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Collins Big Cat. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, or join a free briefing by visiting littlewonderlettersandsounds.org.uk
0: Introducing Bulb.
2: The leading provider of schools and children's homes for children with special educational needs.
0: This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn.
3: In the Philippines, the education ministry has been criticised over the content of a learning module aimed at 17 to 18 year olds. Teachers have said that the module contained negative content about a presidential candidate and praise for the incumbent. The presidential election is just over four weeks away. ACT, Teachers Party List, a congressional group representing teachers, expressed outrage over the learning material and said teachers had struggled enough from two years of pandemic restrictions on face-to-face learning. They released a statement which said, strict adherence to the procedures and safeguards in the production of modules will give justice to them and will ensure that the people's taxes indeed go to quality education instead of shoddy teaching materials and politicking. Education secretary, Leonor Bryans, said the module had not passed the standard review process and had since been withdrawn. Teachers at the Pilton Bluecoat Academy in Barnstable, Devon have been helping to teach pupils at the Vyshensky International School in the Ukraine. Dan Pollack Head of Pilton Bluecoat Academy said, Pilton Bluecoat offers Ukrainian children sessions in English, maths, and word games. But the main focus is the connection that these sessions offer. Children from the Ukraine get the chance to talk to English teachers and to share with them their lives and their stories, an escape for them from some of the everyday horrors. One math session ended with a pet comparison. Pilton Bluecoat also offers the Ukrainian children live sessions at the weekends, as a weekend in Ukraine is long and very different from the weekends our children in Barnstable enjoy. The hope is that these sessions will continue as long as they are needed. This has been your weekend Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn.
1: Welcome back. Cheers. This
0: is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello,
4: this week I'm going to talk VPN. For those of you thinking, why is Steve talking about underwear fashion faux pas? A VPN is a virtual private network, and knowing a little bit about them might make you realise you actually need one. What is it? Well, in a nutshell, a VPN changes how internet data is transmitted from a device. It allows the user to be more hidden. I know what you're thinking. I'm no cyber criminal. Why do I want to conceal my data? Well, let's look at three things a VPN can do for you. I'm going to use a phone as an example, but all of these can be applied to any device you can put on the internet. Do you use public networks? A public network may be the Wi-Fi on the bus or train, a local coffee shop or fast food restaurant, any connection that isn't your home. Transmitting data on these networks can potentially allow your data to be intercepted by third parties. Having a VPN allows you to encrypt your data from your device rather than depending on the network you're connecting to. So, when surfing the web while enjoying a burger and fries, you can be confident if you're being intercepted, the data will be useless to the interceptor. The next is shopping online. When connecting to an online shop, some stores use your location and unique device ID to target you. If you're returning to look at a product, the likelihood is you're going to buy it. Knowing this, some stores use clever algorithms to increase the price to maximize their profit. With a VPN, you can. Ask this data so the price you see is the initial price. The third is some streaming services are blocked by internet providers or unavailable from outside of certain countries. If you're using a VPN, you can choose where to set your location to allow you to see the content you wish to stream. I've not looked at individual providers. Some are free, some are paid for. If you're unsure, find a friend who's using one, ask them about it, and use the same one as them to begin with. Then you get free tech support. Make sure you know the terms of service. You don't want the VPN you're using keeping your data, as that would defeat the object in the first place. As always, don't forget to check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed. Tell us what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech.
1: Thank you and welcome to the Sunday afternoon show with Maud. Our topic of the day is Denmark. I describe the country, its capital, Copenhagen, its very modern and advanced society, its democracy, its parliamentary monarchy with the Queen Margrethe. And now we're moving on to the educational system in Denmark. So, as I mentioned, Denmark has always been one of the first countries to let women have their place in society. They got the right to vote in 1915. For instance, the first uh, female minister, educate minister of education, was Nina Bang, and she became the first female minister, recognized government in an internationally recognized government, back in 1924. Denmark values education. For its citizen, as I explained earlier, it's been written in the Constitution that children, both boys and girls, should attend education since the beginning of the Victorian era. Yet, despite all these advances and its modernity, Denmark has one of the world's most segregated labour markets, which is not something we would expect from Denmark. Details and nuances aside. We realize that women in Denmark are often more likely to work in the public sector, having a position or a job that is more hands on and more service based, while men, Danish men, are more likely to work in the private sector and in the STEM professions such as science, technology, engineering and mathematics. So we notice a bit of an issue there, which is not helping with reducing the pay gap we mentioned, which is still above 15%. Now, what goes on in Danish schools? Well, if we start at the beginning, uh, most babies stay at home with their mums for the first nine months because the maternity pay is quite generous and women can stay up to one year at home with their babies. But then from nine months onwards, Most Danish children are in kindergartens, public kindergartens. 98% of children in Denmark are attending this public kindergarten from nine months to the age of three. So we have um, early population, which is quite institutionalized. Now they're staffed, these kindergartens, by professionals with training in early childhood education. And the children are taught basic academic concepts, such as letters, numbers, um, nursery rhymes, social rules, such as taking turns, helping others and being socialized and playing together. Most of the day is spent on free play and with lots of activities outdoors. So if you walk around in Danish cities, you're going to see lots of children wearing, um, raincoat and rain, rain rainproof trousers, busy playing outdoors, even if the weather is quite inclement at times. Um, because in Denmark, we always say, there's a saying that says, there's no such thing as bad weather, there's just bad clothing. So if you're wearing the appropriate clothing, you can be outside, whatever the weather. So Danish children play a lot in their kindergartens and they play together. Now, what happens after? Um, so they can still stay in nursery. But primary school starts at the age of six. From the age of six, all Danish children attend formal schooling. Until six, they are not doing any writing or reading per se. It's free play. After six, serious business starts. From six to 15 year old, Danish students are going to be in the same building. It's called Volkeskolle. So these schools are um, very Danish in the sense that the students don't call their teachers by their surname. If the person is called, I don't know, Maria Peterson, they're going to call the teacher Maria, not Mrs. Peterson. Um We avoid class rankings in Denmark and we avoid formal tests for children. Instead, we encourage children to work in groups, to collaborate, and we show them how to challenge the way things are and the established way of doing things. We ask children to be very independent and we ask them to question things. The emphasis is on problem solving and not on memorizing a lot of knowledge, such as timetables. Of course, they're gonna use the timetables, but we're not gonna focus on how much they memorize but how they use the knowledge. So you can imagine that in a the playground, there's children of different age groups, and this makes it a little bit more democratic. And there's not such a big divide as in the UK, when we have primary school, and then the big year of year seven, when we start in secondary schools, which can be a bit daunting for 11 year old children in, in the UK. In Denmark, from six to 15, you're in the same building, and you're usually with the same schoolmates, which creates very strong bonds. They know each other from a very early setting. Now, um, the system is different than from the UK. We start at grade zero, which is the first year, age six. And then we move on to grade one, grade two, grade three, and grade four. So from grade zero to one, two, and three, the students have the same teacher, which allows them to create a very solid bond. And they're with the same students. Only after these first four years, so from six to nine, we have different teachers. And in grade four, they might have a teacher who does mostly maths, and then a teacher who does uh, other subjects. But before that, they have the same teacher. I just want to remind you that education is free until 16 in Denmark although there are private schools most private schools are either religious schools Jewish or Muslim and there's also language schools which are private there's the international schools the American school and the French school for instance these schools are private but they st- they're still state subsidized so the fees are way lower than that of private schools in the UK, which makes it still affordable for parents if they wish to give a private school to their students. So after this um, grade one, two and three with the same teacher, the students are changing teachers and they are doing very various subjects. The most common, obviously Danish, Uh, Maths, science, biology, history, Danish history, more or less. And uh, then they also have um, languages. And languages is what I'm really passionate about. So they start at eight or nine normally. But now in some schools, they start even earlier. But we'll hear more about it with our guest speaker later on. Folkoskolen is this school that we attend from six to 15 years old. Now I did say we had no formal testing and we avoided grading children too much, yet at the end of focus school so around 15 years old, there is an exam. And this exam is quite a serious exam. It's the equivalent of our GCSEs in England or our brevet des Colleges in France. So this exam allows you to have three options later on. You can do STX, HHX, or HTX. So these are just profiles, let's call it, or three options. Once you have passed this exam, you can choose which type of gymnasium you're going to go to. So gymnasium is for older students. They are from 16 to 18 years old or 15 and a half to 18 years old. So it's the equivalent of sixth form college in the UK, high school in America, And le lycée in France. So these um, schools depend on your grades. You can't take a gymnasium. The gymnasium you want to, you need to apply, and they're going to look at your grades. The grades from that exam you you sit for age fifteen. So that exam is called studentia exam, which is the equivalent of the GCSE. And once you have good grades at this exam, you can apply to a gymnasium. So gymnasium have specialties. You can have a gymnasium that specializes in music, you can have one that specializes in science, or sports, or performing arts, and um, then you need to apply to them. Now, if you're not very academic, and that's fine in Denmark, and you're going to receive all the support you need if you're not academic, if you're more um, manual, or if you have a very precise skill trade you want to invest in, you can go to a trade school. So these are practically oriented and they offer a skill. It can be in metalworking, electrical technology, mechanics, or it can be floristry or fashion or design or business or accounting or software development. So these trade schools give you the training you need to get these skills that can lead to very high paying careers, but you're going to start working a little bit earlier. Now you can also have a system that is both, you can still do academic uh, subjects at a gymnasium and then you have an apprenticeship in a company. So it's quite versatile. There is an option for everybody. You can go the academic way with the gymnasium for three years from 15 to 18, or you can go to one of these trade schools. Now there's another option, and this is what's brilliant about Denmark, because Denmark, as I said, is a monarchy, parliamentary monarchy. It's a democracy. It's a very advanced and modern society, but it's also a socialist country. So in, Dem- in Denmark, Danish people believe that you should pay high taxes and these taxes should be used by the government and redistributed so that it ensures that everybody has access to health care, welfare and education. And this is the particularity of Scandinavian countries, such as Sweden, Norway, Iceland and Denmark. So in Denmark, you can take a year in a school but without following a curriculum and it's called after Scholar. So usually you're gonna be a boarder in that school and you can develop subjects that are not maybe core subjects but are more artistic or sports or cultural subjects. So after Scholar is another option that a student has aged 15 if they don't really know if they want to take a trade route, or if they're unsure if they want to have a profile that's more business minded, or science minded, or literature and humanities, then they can go to, F to scholar do a lot of sports or a lot of arts or ceramics or any sort of subjects they're interested in. And they do it for a year in a sort of boarding school. Now it's the, the price for, for these after school is very reasonable because it is state-subsidized. So you mainly pay a small fee for your board and your food and the subject you, you're learning, but it's not going to be very expensive, and most people have access to it if they want to. Now, the biggest difference between US and UK and Scandinavian education is university education once you have had good grades at your student exam and you have chosen to go to a gymnasium you might have studied physics biology or maths or science and then you want to do medicine let's say well you need to have very good grades and the closer you are to an a the better if you have all the grades you need you're going to apply to a university and your university fees are free. Any Danish student who wants to go to university in Denmark will receive a free university education. Now that sounds wonderful to the ears of many, many UK and US students, doesn't it? So full-time students in Denmark are eligible for statens Uldensstörter which means SU, or limited income support. Every Danish student will receive, it might be the equivalent of $500 a month. So they receive that money, and then they can use it for their food, or rental cost, or their, anything they need, such as books, or uh, internet access, or phone access. Of course, that's not enough to pay for all your, your rent and your costs, but it helps you with giving you a minimum. So it's almost like a minimum wage for students. And um, anyone who's Danish can, can get that. And I think if you're Swedish and Norwegian as well. So these students have access to free university education, and then they get a scholarship or bursary in English terms, statens udens sestoda. Now you also have an option if you don't want to go to university and you can do an internship. So this is called praktikent, and you're an intern and you're going to get paid. You're not going to get paid a lot, but you're going to get paid to work in a company and learn the trade as you go. So there's lots of options for students and it's a very fair system because everybody can access a form of education without having to get into student debt, which I think is something to praise for, isn't it? Having access to student education without getting into debt. Now, Denmark, as I said, is a small country. There's only 5.8 million people living in Denmark and yet Denmark has eight universities, nine art and performance institutions, including the Royal Academy of Fine Arts. And it also has eight university colleges where you can get a professional bachelor degrees in areas such as nursing. That is very impressive, I'd say, for such a small country. So a very, very good educational offer for Danish citizen, starting from the age of nine months all the way to university and mostly free. Now you're going to say, oh, that sounds wonderful, but you might be in your thirties. And even if you go to Denmark, how would that interest you? Well, the thing is there's an offer for adults as well. Lifelong education is a strong core value of socialist Scandinavia, Denmark um encourages public and private investment in business, but also in new cal- qualification and skills, and it's one of the highest offer in Europe. Denmark has a very qualified and well-educated workforce, and th- the way to get to that qualified workforce is by offering very good quality, cheap education, and yet very good quality. So. For instance, let's say you're a 35 Danish citizen or an EU citizen who lives in Denmark and you have a hobby that you really enjoy and it's cooking. Or it might be textile, weaving, knitting, crocheting. Well, you can take classes as an adult in most Danish cities. These classes are fun, but they're also for your own improvement and they are publicly funded And offered to you at a very low cost. And this is what makes Denmark so special. Its philosophy is based in that socialism and that idea that we all work together and we benefit everybody equally. So, this offer of education, lifelong education for adults, is in the equivalent of folk high schools, and they are called Huskolene. Huskolene are institutions in most Danish cities where you can get these lessons, take these courses. Some are in daytime, some are evening classes, but everybody can use these classes and get um, lifelong education. Isn't that wonderful? So why do we have such an input and such an effort globally, I mean, in Denmark, generally for education and lifelong education. Well, it comes from all the way back to these free thinkers of the 19th century. In 1844, we had these folk high schools opening in Denmark. It was adult education for workers. And they were all inspired by an educational leader. And this man was called Niels Grundvik. And Niels was born in 1783. So you could tell that he's a child of um, the French Revolution, isn't it? Because 1783 was that big development of the idea of the citizen and and human rights and the rights of the citizen. So um, I think he was inspired by this revolutionary idea. And he lived a very long life, Niels Convick, because he died in 1872. So Niels believed that offering higher education to rural people, to farmers, was the best way to have a nation that is educated all around. So it's not just for the urban intellectual elite. It's also for anyone who lives in the countryside and wants to acquire a new skill. So grunwig's ideas were very popular and they led to the creation of these folkhørskoler, he- and um, it was followed in Denmark, but also in Sweden and Iceland and Norway. Until now, and to these days, you have seventy hørskoler in Denmark. So, seventy institutions where you can take adult classes, um, and they specialize in film, design, sports theater, politics, um, ceramics, all sorts of subjects. These schools are voluntary, and they you don't need to have a grade for that. So even if you failed at your student exam when you were 15, you can still take lessons in the Folk High School. And uh, they offer uh, courses weekly, or they, you can also live in, in that boarding school kind of system. Um, but they are not tuition-free, so you need to pay a little bit. But as I said, I reminded you, it's also state-subsidized, so the cost is much lower than you would expect in another country. Now, why would you access lifelong education? Well, you can only do it if you have the means, financially, even though it's state-subsidized, but you also need to have enough free time to fit in an active adult life. So the beauty about Danish society and Danish lifestyle is that if you work full-time, you're going to start maybe at 8 or 8.30 a.m., but you're going to be done at 4, 4.30 max. And if you look at office buildings in Denmark, when you drive past, at 5 o'clock, the office buildings are all dark, no one's in. Everybody has left to go home. So Danish people work hard and they are very productive, their hourly rate, their hourly productivity rate is really high and yet they work the set office hours and nothing more. The official work week is 37 hour by law in Denmark and every employee works really hard but they don't stay late at the office, which is culturally difficult to imagine for someone who works in the UK or in the US, where you're seen as a good worker if you stay till the cleaners have started cleaning the office, way past 8 p.m. or sometimes even 9 p.m. if you have a deadline. Well, that would be frowned upon in Denmark. It would be seen as someone who's got time management issues if you stayed so late in the office. And um, if you do, Uh, I've heard that many times from uh, British workers who moved to Denmark to work there. And they would be, um, if they stayed too late at the office several times, they would find the day after a little leaflet about time management on their desk. So you're expected to work hard in your office hours in Denmark. But once the time has ticked, you need to go home and you need to spend time with your family. And that attitude towards work-life balance is very positive because in the end it allows you to go home to cook a fresh food meal fresh food to cook a good healthy nutritious meal for your family and then you still have time to do lifelong education and you still have time to go to classes or take classes even as an adult even as a working woman with children so this is the beauty of the lifestyle in Denmark and uh, in an international context Denmark is among the best places to live when it comes to work-life balance, according to the OECD. Every employee in Denmark is legally entitled to five weeks of paid vacation per year. And maternity leave is very generous, as I said, from nine months all the way up to one year. Isn't that wonderful? So this is the beauty of Danish lifestyle. And it allows people to get this free or very um, low cost, good quality education. So now, I'm going to welcome my guest. And my guest is a Danish student, age 15, who lives in Denmark near Copenhagen. And I wanted to talk to um, my guest, because I wanted the listener to see how well Danish students speak English. And this is something that's quite shocking for um, Southern Europeans, such as Italian, Spanish, or French people, because we don't have students who are so uh, naturally fluent age 15 after having studied English in France. So I wanted to show you how well their Danish educational system works for making uh, bilingual students. Now, we're gonna welcome Jens. And as I said, he's a Danish citizen. We're gonna ask Jens a few questions about his personal views on the topic of language education in Denmark. And my questions are gonna allow the listeners to, to get to see how we do it in Denmark. So bear with me as I'm welcoming our guest of the day. There we go. Okay. And we're live. Hi. Uh, <laughs> thank you very much for giving me some of your time. Um, so this is Jens talking to us about his experience of being a Danish student in a secondary school in Denmark. Mm. So uh, Jens, could mm. you tell me uh, when you learned Dan- uh, English and yeah. how did you learn English?
5: Well, uh, I learned. Um, well, English has always kind of been a part of my life, really, uh, mainly because I have. Some English family from London, mm-hmm. and uh, I've been watching English shows and English films, and I got to learn the grammar and how English really works in school uh, so therefore I got a bit better, but mainly it's because of the the media and it's very easy to like um,
1: access it yeah
5: exactly um when you have shows and you watch different kind of shows on Netflix and HBO and kind of
1: okay like so that. Um, You say you were exposed to English very early on. Mm -hmm. Um, When you were exposed to English was it more American English or was it British English?
5: Uh, I don't really know. Uh, I got it mostly from films really. Uh, I watch many films like A Film and a Day or something like that Uh, and uh, most of them are like Hollywood films so yeah I would guess American. American? Yeah. Um, but I watch some um, British shows as well.
1: Okay, and when you watch American or British shows, do you have the audio always in English or American English? And but what about the subtitles?
5: Uh, well, when I was younger and I didn't really know uh, how to, uh, what the language was and stuff like that, I would have Danish subtitles. But uh, since I've gotten better, I think it, I thought it would be more, I don't know, fun to get in, in English subtitles. Uh,
1: so you said you, um, so you were immersed and then you started learning the grammar at school, what mm. age were you?
5: I think we got it in second grade, so it would be about like eight or seven or something like that when we first started. But uh, nowadays it's actually even earlier than that, I think it's like the first grade, uh, so it would be like age of six.
1: Six, yeah. when they start primary yeah. school. Yeah. Um, could you tell us how old you are now?
5: Uh, right now, I am sixteen
1: okay, so you've been learning English for eight years approximately,
5: yeah, yeah, that sounds about right
1: yeah. okay, so when do you think you were able to start conversing or having a conversation uh with someone who's uh, an English speaker
5: <sighs> Well, um I could say like small sentences and understand uh what people were saying at by the age of like twelve or maybe thirteen or something like that. And then I got progressively better at it uh, and getting like, uh, uh, like a better span of words and better vocabulary and stuff like that, right? So.
1: Okay, so from the age of 12, mm, you were yeah. able to converse. Yeah. Uh, when did you start reading chapter books in English? Mm.
5: Well, I, f- I think I read my first English book when I was 13. Uh, it was like this kind of, it was kind of long, I think it was 300 pages uh like kind of tale adventure thing mm-hmm. um uh, and there was two books uh that i read and it was english yeah
1: okay so that's pretty soon yeah. relatively mm. and uh, are you still reading in english
5: yeah yeah i am uh i've just finished reading uh, hunter S. thompson uh fear and loathing in las vegas and now i am beginning to read uh, american psycho
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. That, that's a cool book. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, so now, y- do you learn another language in your secondary school? Uh,
5: yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, we um, we learn German, but I am not particularly fond of that because I'm not very good at it. Uh, I never really have. Um, I don't. You really know why, actually? But uh,
1: yeah. Was it a choice? Did you have a choice of the other language, or was it imposed by your school?
5: Well, we had to choose between uh, French. And uh, German and I picked German because well I was basically uh, I was advised by my sister to pick German because she thought that French was too hard to learn and she thought German would be easier for me so I picked German
1: okay so mm. it was not really because you have any affinity with the culture it was thinking about the the time you would have to spend learning mm. it
5: yeah kind of uh, I got a half German girlfriend uh, at a time
1: that could be a motivation. Yeah,
5: exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so that, yeah, exactly. That was kind of a motivation for me to learn German. But, yeah, anything else, not really.
1: And how is your German?
5: It's very, very bad. I'm not very good. I never really got it. Uh, uh, my vocabulary and my grammar is just terrible. Uh, I don't know a lot of words. I just know, like, phrases, phrases you would learn when you're, like, starting out. So.
1: Okay. And you started at what age?
5: Uh, I think it was in fifth grade, so I would be 12 or 13, Right. age, I can't really remember. So
1: you started English around mm. 8 or 9, mm. and then you started German 12 or 13, mm, so yeah. almost three years later. Mm, yeah. OK, so English already had a big advantage. Yeah, exactly. OK, yeah. advance. Mm. Um, do you think you're going to need to keep learning German um, after you leave secondary school? I hear that you're going to go to gymnasium, which mm. is the equivalent of sixth form mm. for English mm. students. So are you going to keep your uh, other language or are you just going to stick to English?
5: Uh, well, I'm going to actually, we no matter what, I'm going to stick to English. Uh, yeah. uh, and, but I'm going to choose another language instead of uh, German. I'm I think, uh, thinking maybe like uh, Italian or Spanish or something like that. Um,
1: and you have the choice in yeah. your gymnasium?
5: Yeah. To choose. Okay. yeah, but you have to get it on the highest level. That's the thing.
1: So what do you mean by that?
5: Uh, well, there's different kind of levels. There's C, B and A and A is the highest. Right. Mm-hmm. So you, no matter what, you have to pick A when you're taking a new language like Italian or Spanish. But uh, if, it's, if you're taking uh, German off, uh, or French, you uh, can take you know, B or uh, or E.
1: So you need to have certain <laughs> grades to be able to choose the subject.
5: Uh, no, no, you need to um, what's it called? You need to have, uh, have it at the primary school, uh, and then you can choose it.: Okay, yeah.
1: all right. Um, are there any other languages in that uh, school you're going to go to very soon? Is it just Spanish, um, French? English and German, or are there other languages?
5: Mm, Well, it kind of depends on what gymnasium, but the gymnasium I'm going to, it's, uh, I think it's Italian, uh, German and French and English, and that's it.
1: Okay, cool. Now I have another question. Um, Mm. We have some students in England who are Mm. starting to learn um, Latin or Greek in primary school as Mm. an option. Did you ever have that option in your school? No. no.
5: No. No, we never had that option.
1: Do you uh, know anyone of your age who has studied Latin or Greek?
5: No, but yeah, I think so, but that was more like a of, like a hobby or something, not really doing it because of school, but mostly doing it for fun.
1: So it wasn't part of the curriculum. No. It wasn't. Okay. Um, so I've noticed in my experience mm. visiting Denmark many times that Danish children are extremely good at learning English mm. compared to French children, for instance, or Spanish children. Mm. Have you noticed that as well?
5: Yes, I have. Everyone in my class knows English uh, and are very good at English, but knows very little German like me and French. So, yeah, you're, you're right. Yeah. So
1: why, why do you think um, Danish people have that ability to learn English so well and so early?
5: I think it's because the language is kind of similar. I mean uh, a lot of the words are actually the same and kind of remind of of each other and of course by the media and we um, we see shows and we know people that are english and stuff like that and uh, we can you can go to online chat rooms and meet english people and yeah and practice exactly
1: right so It's definitely similar grammar. You say you get a lot of exposure. Mm. Now, I noticed as well that when you watch TV in Denmark, you have access to Swedish TV. And sometimes you can watch Norwegian films as well. Mm. Um, How is your relationship to these other two languages? Can you speak them? Can you understand them? How do you approach them?
5: Well, I understand them because they're very similar to, uh, to Danish, but I can't speak them. Very good. I can. I mean, it's not very hard, but I can speak some. I can know a few sentences, but I can't really like talk it fluently.
1: So you wouldn't have a conversation uh, in a shop or in a pharmacy or in a bar in Sweden or Norway.
5: No, no not a very good one. Not
1: easily. <laughs> no. Okay. Um. So it's definitely not because of similarities, mm. because the Scandinavian languages have mm. very similar mm. patterns. Do you think it's because of exposure, even though you do have access to Swedish TV? Or do you think it's more because English is a language that is cool to learn maybe or more famous Mm -hmm. or better for job prospects? What do you think?
5: Uh, Well, I think um, a lot of English phrases is actually still kind of as we use it as kind of slang and stuff like that and um, so i think yeah it's it's cooler to learn english than it is to learn like uh, swedish or norwegian um yeah i can't really uh what's it called
1: so you've never thought that you needed to to be able to read a swedish book uh, bec- because it's so close to geographically
5: uh no not really i've never even really taken the time to learn it and we never had swedish or Norwegian in school so
1: okay so if you go to sweden Mm. what language are you going to use to make yourself understood
2: Mm.
5: i might try a bit swedish Uh, i don't know if i would have any success if if i don't i would just go over to english because that's like
1: because it's the language mm. of communication there in scandinavia yeah exactly excellent um so what do you think would help my students to find the motivation to learn another language? Because my students are, have the choice of French or Spanish mm. and they don't always see the motivation because they already speak English. Yeah. So um, what would you say to my students? Um, because you are obviously bilingual. Mm. What are the benefits of being bilingual according to you?
5: Hmm, I don't really know what that
1: means. (laughs) It's just the fact that you can go to uh, another country and speak the language. So, what is the benefits for you, uh, Jens, Mm. of speaking English and Danish as well?
5: Well, uh, I think, um, well, Denmark will always kind of be like my home. So, I think it's very nice to like come home to Denmark and talk uh, talk Danish, and kind of it's. Yeah, it, it makes it feel more, I don't know, homey. Definitely. Homey? Yeah. Uh, and I think it's very good to learn English because it's like the most broad language in the world. Uh, so, and everybody knows a little bit English. So I think it'd probably be the best language to know. Um,
1: yeah. <laughs> so would you recommend uh, another student to learn another language?
5: Well, yeah. If uh, I mean, it kind of... And uh, I don't. Mm, mm, yeah, sure. Uh, uh,
1: maybe not uh, German. It, in no, your not, experience. not German.
5: <laughs> it kind of depends on the circumstances. I would say, like, why the person needs to learn the language. Um, but I think if a person wants to learn a language, maybe like dive into the culture and can kind of interested in that, and maybe watch some of the TV because that really helps, and um, do it without subtitles because that. Really, really helps
1: okay so yeah. when you're going to start italian mm. in your next school mm. are you going to follow your own advice
5: i think i am actually yeah i'm going to watch like some italian operas or something i don't know <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh yeah i, I think watch
1: that's italian movies
5: yeah yeah i think i would yeah i okay. think that makes sense for me yeah
1: cool mm. well good luck with your uh, italian learning Thank, Thank you very much, Jens, for yeah. your um, experience and sharing with us. Mm-hmm. And as we say in Italy, arrivederci. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to learn that in a couple of years. Cool. Thank you, Jens. Yeah. Arrivederci. Yeah. Goodbye in Italian. So that was our lovely Jens, uh, who's 15 or 16. Actually, I got it wrong. He said he was 16 and you can hear how good he is in English. Now, what do we take from our discussion with Jens? So Danish, um, and Scandinavian children have an advantage in the sense that they are, they have a very similar grammar to English grammar. For instance, they have the same structures, uh, I can give you an example, when you say um, uh, Jens' shoes in English, um, which is a possessive, in uh, in Danish it would be Jens' sko, so it's the same structure, you just change shoe for sko, and then you have the S as well as the mark of the possession, so it, it makes it easier. Whereas in um, other Latin languages, for instance, the the structure would have a preposition and it would be a little bit difficult to learn. So English, and also comes from Old Norse, because remember um, there were Vikings who moved to England after the Romans left, the Jutes from Jutland, which is Uland, and uh, they brought their language. And a lot of words that are English words such as sky, for instance, are from Norse, which is the root language of Danish, Swedish, Icelandic, Norwegian, and also English. So they they have a common root in their language. So that makes it easier for them to learn English. Now they also benefit from State TV, Danish TV, which has always had a policy of showing any movies with subtitles. So it means if you have an American movie or a series, you're going to watch it with the American audio. And then you're going to have the subtitles in uh, Danish, which makes the children exposed to the sound of English from a very early age. And this is what's the most useful. Um, and nowadays, we don't have any excuses. Maybe in the 80s, it was hard to learn in to learn English for lots of us. But now with Netflix and Amazon Prime and YouTube, you can select the subtitles and put it to English as well. So you're completely exposed to the language. So Jens was saying he had early exposure. He started at eight, whereas a lot of students in in the UK, despite governmental um, efforts, they're still exposed to a foreign language when they reach year seven, which is at 11 years old, which is a little bit early, uh, late, sorry, for um, language learning. Now, Jens mentioned immersion through film and TV. He mentioned adding subtitles in English. And he also mentioned, maybe the most important aspect of his interview, he mentioned motivation. And he said the word cool. Because for him and for a lot of Danish people, being fluent in English is cool. And if you listen to Danish radio, which is quite a language exercise, you're going to hear a lot of swear words in English, because Danish people use swear words on national state radio, as long as it's in English, because for them, it feels less rude, I guess. And also they hear it from American TV. So you're going to hear a lot of F word and and very shocking words. (laughs) So you hear Danish and then some rude English words, which is kind of funny. So it is supposed to be cool for Danish people to speak English. So it makes motivation uh, very high. And now we all know that English is the winning language for teenagers in Europe, whether it's in Ukraine or in Poland or Denmark or Italy or Spain, every youngster is learning English at school and uh, it becomes the most popular language for our teenagers. So this is the reason why Danish people all speak English. And if you go to um, any shops, whether it's Aldi or Lidl or Irma, any shop in Denmark, everybody speaks English. The shop assistant from the manager, everybody is fluent in English. We're not there yet in France, for sure and uh, neither in Italy or Spain. Even though I think we're improving year on year, um, Danish people are definitely having an advantage in their language learning. Now, we are educators and I am a language teacher. So what do I take from this discussion with the lovely Jens? Well, I take it that to learn the language and to be able to converse, because remember, Jens is 16 and he was able to speak with us for 14 minutes in his second language. And he was very um, confident and eloquent. And he just learned English at school, at his state school. So, what are the strategies I can put in place as an educator to help my students uh, become proficient in their, the language they're learning? Well, the first hurdle. I need to jump over is the motivation hurdle because Jens said it, it's cool to speak English for Danish speakers. Now it's not so cool to speak French when you're a UK student, for instance, or maybe it's not as expected. So how do I make my students think it's a little bit cool to speak another language? Well I guess it's by showing them a lot of French movies that are relatable and maybe not movies such as the ones we have on the curriculum. I know I'm I'm teaching A-Levels this year and I have students who are doing Au Revoir Les Enfants and it's a beautiful, very sad, tragic movie about the second world war and Jewish children in a Catholic boarding school. But it might not be the best way to create um, a bond, with our UK students and French film culture, we might need to try and find things that are a bit more close to their interests. Um, Now, this motivation might be really increased if we organize systematic um, school trips which we haven't been able to do in my school for 10 years due to, due to budget cuts in education. So I think we definitely need to have a motivation that increases with access to culture and content that's relevant and also school trips because Jens knows that he's going to be able to practice his English whenever he goes to another country with anyone, if he travels to nearby Sweden, it's and not even an hour by on the bridge from Denmark, he's gonna be able to speak English if he needs to in a shop. Now, our UK students, so few, have had access to the Eurostar and have been able to go on a trip, particularly since COVID. So I do think it's really an emergency. We need to take our students abroad so that they can practice what they learn. Otherwise, they're just feeling like what they learned is not really useful now we also mentioned a cultural closeness and Yen said it he's been exposed to american culture and english culture from a very early age because he had obviously family uh, visiting but also he had access to movies and the culture that's promoted by a hollywood movie is very pervasive so we need to think as educators and as parents and also as policymakers in the uk how do you how do you make um, other cultures just as important as American culture, for instance? And I think it's the idea, the concept of imperialism in languages thats uh, that I'm alluding to. Um, now, this is what I would like to focus on in my, in my teaching, definitely, making um, speaking French or Spanish or German or Mandarin um, more cool, the way English appears to. Uh, having the ability to use the language you're learning, so making it profitable, and also starting earlier and earlier. And um, I know that some schools, some nurseries, offer French and Spanish lessons, and I think it should be a national endeavour in the UK to offer early access to other languages for our children. Um, Let me know what you think about this If you happen to be on the chat, because it's also a live recording, um, please let me know what you think. How can we make other languages, other than English, uh, more popular for our teenagers? Now, I'm going to let you uh, listen to a little bit of the news, and then we'll get back to finish our afternoon show.
2: Follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondelettersandsounds.org.uk.
0: Introducing Bulb. With evidence-based learning at the forefront of education, let Bulb digital portfolios help reshape your educational practice. Bulb helps teachers teach and learners learn. Bulb is an easy to use, fully accessible digital platform that captures students' digital learning assets in one place, allowing them to evidence their learning and reflect on their growth. Our dedicated team of education specialists are on hand to ensure the Bulb fits seamlessly into all of your teaching practices. Come take a look and get a free account at bulbapp.com.
2: Introducing Autism Aspirational Futures, a virtual SEN conference for parents and carers. Do you work with parents or carers of students with autism? If so, this free virtual conference from With Group can support them and you, providing inspiring talks from leading experts, offering practical advice on supporting children and young people with autism and associated needs. This very special event will take place during Autism Acceptance Week and is sure to be an enjoyable occasion for everyone wanting to develop their knowledge, understanding and celebrate their children's amazing superpowers. Don't miss out. Register for free at witherslackgroup.co.uk today. Witherslack Group, the leading provider of schools and children's homes for children with special educational needs.
0: This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail
3: Glenn. The Philippines, the Education Ministry has been criticised over the content of a learning module aimed at 17 to 18 year olds. Teachers have said that the module contained negative content about a presidential candidate and praise for the incumbent. The presidential election is just over four weeks away. ACT, Teachers Party List, a congressional group representing teachers, expressed outrage over the learning material and said teachers had struggled enough from two years of pandemic restrictions on face-to-face learning. They released a statement which said, strict adherence to the procedures and safeguards in the production of modules will give justice to them and will ensure that the people's taxes indeed go to quality education instead of shoddy teaching materials and politicking. Education Secretary, Leonore Bryans, said the module had not passed the standard review process and had since been withdrawn. Teachers at the Pilton Bluecoat Academy in Barnstable, Devon, have been helping to teach pupils at the Vyshensky International School in the Ukraine. Dan Pollack, head of Pilton Bluecoat Academy said, Pilton Bluecoat offers Ukrainian children sessions in English, maths and word games, but the main focus is the connection that these sessions offer. Children from the Ukraine get the chance to talk to English teachers and to share with them their lives and their stories an escape for them from some of the everyday horrors. One math session ended with a pet comparison. Pilton Bluecoat also offers the Ukrainian children live sessions at the weekends, as a weekend in Ukraine is long and very different from the weekends our children in Barnstable enjoy. The hope is that these sessions will continue as long as they are needed. This has been your Weekend Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn.
1: We're thanking Gail for the news. So this is um, Sunday afternoon show with Maud. Today's topic was Denmark, this little Scandinavian country, and its educational system. We talked with Jens, who is a 16-year-old student from Denmark, who explained that the reason why Danish students are so good at English is because they're immersed very early on into Uh, English and American culture. They have access to films and series in English with subtitles and they start learning English age eight. We also mentioned the fact that Danish uh, society is a very modern and developed society, that most women are working, uh, most people are educated and they benefit from a socialist um, ethos where um, everybody has access to free education from the age of nine months to 16. There is also lifelong education with um, a system of schools, which are um, folk high schools, as we call them. And um, we can take lifelong classes either weekly or on the as a border. We can also stay for a few months or a year. So Danish population, the Danish population is only 5.8 million of people. However, they are highly educated and they all have access to very good quality health care, educational care, and also um, they have a lovely, very nurturing society. Now, if you have any question, you remember you can use the live chat, which is available on the internet. Meanwhile, I'm just going to talk to you about my experience of visiting and living in Denmark. So I've never lived Um, in Denmark, but I visit twice every year due to family reasons. And um, it's a a beautiful country. So when we think of Denmark, we often think about um, lots of um, beautiful beaches and um, the nature. It's it's a lovely countryside with fields and it's mostly agricultural Denmark. Um, A lot of the forest, the natural forests Uh, have been cut over the years and there's only 12% of the landmass that is covered in woods. But I think there's a policy to start replanting um, and reforesting Denmark. Um, Denmark is a country which has Christian roots, but also Viking roots. And um, you can still see it in the architecture. You can uh, find um, mounds where uh, Viking uh, uh, were buried and um, also stones Sculptures and um, a, a little bit like what we see a stone hedge. So, a lot of uh, stones erected in the countryside um, by Neolithic people. So, Denmark is a beautiful place to visit and it's very famous um, amongst Japanese tourists, for instance, for its ceramics. We always see Japanese tourists coming to the airport in Copenhagen and buying these beautiful. Um, ceramic, hand painted, so they're usually white with that lovely cobalt blue. They take it from a Norwegian mine, and then they use the the blue color to to tint the 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 pigments. They use the pigment and they make the, these beautiful massamale ceramics. Denmark exports a lot uh, culturally. It's very prolific. Um, there's literature. There is um, movies. Many famous actors, but also they are quite uh, avant-garde in their in their um, businesses. They have windmills and renewable energies. They specialize in pharmaceutical. As I said, it's the biggest exporter, the second biggest exporter of insulin for diabetics. So Denmark is a very, very modern country. However, I did mention that there is still the um invisible 15% pay gap. We don't know why it's still there, but women are not paid as much as men. And the Danish, uh, the Danish government is trying to get to the root of the problem, trying to investigate. And it's it's a very difficult task because um, there is a lot of unconscious bias. We also noticed that a lot of girls don't take STEM subjects at university um so it's the same issue in the uk we don't have that many girls taking physics and biology and science at university and yet they do well in um, sixth form or in gymnasium so we we do have to get to the root of the problem to encourage girls to go into science because it's a big loss for society if uh, women aren't involved in stem research so this was the topic of this week. I hope you enjoyed it. And um, if you have any questions, please use the live chat as always. We're trying to have an interactive session. Now I'm thanking my guest. I'm thanking uh, Jens, our 16-year-old Danish student who came to talk to us about his experience of learning English. And I just want to leave you with these thoughts on... Um, on um, Educating and teaching languages in in the UK. I mentioned it in my first show. I talked about the language deficit. We have only seven percent of uh, the population who is speaking more than one language. And when I say who is um, multilingual, it's the ability to speak, read, and write in more than one language. So we are very low in that multilingual rate in England, whereas in Denmark. I think it's almost 90% of the population that is fluent in English as well as Danish And then there's other languages um, uh, that are spoken. So we really need to catch up in the UK. And um, I'm trying to work really hard in my school to promote learning languages, not just French or Spanish, but also other languages, such as Mandarin and Arabic and Urdu and Polish. I think it's our duty as educators and also as parents to encourage our students to learn as many languages because it allows them to discover other cultures to travel the world and to make our world a better place and we need that next generation to be able to do that so on that note i wish you a lovely lovely easter week and uh, whether you're a christian and you celebrate easter or not uh, have a lovely week and have some um, well deserved rest Thank you so much. It was Maud for the Sunday afternoon show.
0: You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.